Praise the Lord. It's good to have everyone today with us. If you're a guest with us for the very first time, we welcome you today. Let's welcome our guests. Can we do that this morning? Amen. It's great to have everyone in the house of the Lord this morning. And she'll probably have to pray through over this later. But today's a very special day for a very special lady in my life. It is Mama Owens' birthday. So, we wish her we wish her a happy birthday today and pray that she can forgive me. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. We're so glad you're here today. But more importantly than that, I'm glad Jesus is here. Amen. There's no point of coming to church if Jesus doesn't show up. That's not church. That's a club. That's a, that's a social event. So we're so thankful for that today. A couple weeks ago, I was challenged again um, to review, to look back, to study, to ponder, to meditate upon the Gospel of John. Forgive me for going back through this again. Those of you that were here several weeks ago, you heard this, but allow me to say it again. The Gospel of John is a very unique book. In case you're wondering today and you don't know, give, just give me a moment here. This is very important for you to understand so you can understand the context by which we are going to go today. The Bible that you hold in your hand or maybe have on your phone is written in in an order by which we do not have today. The order by which we have today is not the way in which it was written. For instance, the Gospels were not written and distributed the moment that Jesus resurrected and ascended into heaven. It wasn't like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were standing there at the foot as Jesus ascended, turned around, and started passing out copies of their book. It didn't happen quite like that. In fact, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, those three Gospels in particular... Uh, were written somewhere between 20 to 30 years, years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul began to write his letters somewhere in that 30 to 40 year range after the death, burial, and resurrection. And all the, the epistles that we have, the letters of Paul that we have in the Bible came after that. But the Gospel of John is unique, even though in your Bible, the Gospel of John is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's considered to be a gospel. The gospel of John is very unique from the standpoint of the gospel of John, probably, most scholars agree with this, was one of the last book, if not the last book ever written that was included in your Bible today. It was written somewhere between 90 and 100 A.D., meaning it came around 70 years, 70 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. To put that into context today, that would be like trying to write a historical and try to look back and ponder the events of World War II. 70, 80 years ago, that began to take place. That's sort of the context of which John's gospel is spread far away from the events. However, John was an eyewitness. It wasn't like John was retelling something from somebody else. John was... At the end of his life, he's tired. He knows his time is about to expire. He sits down and begins to write and begins to look back at his memories of Jesus. And he wants to 
finalize for everyone there. By that time, the church had grown to somewhere over 10 million believers. And so John is sitting down and he's going to write to these 10 million believers his version of who Jesus is. And and he knows Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already given sort of a historical play-by-play of what Jesus did. He knows that. In fact, he probably had those sitting there at the table when he began to write. He knows what they say. And so when John begins to sit down and write, he's not just retelling a historical rendering of the gospel of who Jesus was. Jesus got up at 6 a.m. one day and went down this. He wasn't doing that. Everything that John put in his gospel, he put in for a purpose. In fact, you heard me say this before, but Matthew talks about Jesus going back to Abraham. Luke takes it all the way back to Adam. But John starts his gospel by saying, in the beginning. The same way Genesis started. He started the same way in the beginning. And so we've got to understand that. Why we have to understand that, preacher? Because John uses some phrases and words and he says things and he puts things in his gospel that are extremely important for us today as believers. And those of you that are here maybe for the first time, it's extremely important to you even though you may not know that today. John is the one that tells us in chapter 3 about Nicodemus and the interaction of Nicodemus. And John was the one that told us that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus and said, you must be born again. Born of the water and born of the spirit. But in chapter 4, then John begins to tell us a story that is not included in the other gospels. And John begins his story this way. Verse number 3 of chapter 4, John says this, speaking of Jesus. He left Judea and departed again unto Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. When John stops, and I don't know if John had some notes there, some scrolls he had kept in his, in his bag all these years of things he had written down or things, or maybe when he looked back and was thinking and letting the Lord speak to him about what he would write, this story stuck out and he remembered this story because he remembered it because of the urgency that Jesus had in this. To give you a little context here, Jesus was about three to six months into his ministry. Three to six months, he had been baptized by John. He had gone on a 40-day fast in the wilderness, tempted of the devil. He'd come back and began to teach, began to gain some disciples, some followers. The Pharisees began to question a little bit what was going on. And so in order to kind of keep things without getting out of control, he decided, I need to get out of here. He was in the Jerusalem area. He was in the Judea area, south in Israel. And so Jesus decided, i got to go up north to the Galilee area, near the Sea of Galilee. But as he departed that morning, he looked at his disciples, and John obviously remembered the statement, and he said to them, guys, we're not going the way we normally go. We're going to go to Samaria. We've got to go to Samaria. Why is that important? Well, first of all, if you look at the topography of that area, the easiest route from Judea to Galilee is right up the Jordan River because it's the flattest. It's the valley. The first thing Jesus did that morning, because John tells us, verse number 5, Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to son Joseph. Now Jacob well was there, and Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey, 
set thus on the well about the sixth hour. Meaning he got there about noon and he was tired. Why was Jesus tired? Well, if you look at the topography, the first thing Jesus had to do that morning was climb a 1,500-foot cliff. Jesus had to get out of the valley down by the river where he was teaching. Instead of going up north, following the river in the easiest, flattest part, going up to the Sea of Galilee, going around the left side, finding the tributary river that feeds into the Sea of Galilee, following that to Capernaum, which is the easiest route when you're walking. It's about a 60, 70-mile journey. That's a long walk. You don't want to add to the journey. Jesus said, I've got to climb. I've got to go somewhere. And in order to get on the plateau where Samaria was, it meaning the first thing Jesus did was had to ascend a 1,500-foot cliff to get onto the plateau. Why are you telling me this, preacher? Because I'm telling you the importance that Jesus had that day. This wasn't an accident. He had a purpose. Because before he got up that morning, Jesus already knew that in that city that day, there was somebody that needed him. And when he walked up that day, he said, guys, there's somebody that needs me, and we've got to go there. And I imagine, they didn't say this, but I imagine they looked at him and said, are you crazy? I don't want to walk up some 1,500-foot cliff. I don't want to go that way. Come on, we're right down. Let's just keep going. And why do we go to Samaria? That's not... We don't hang out with the Samaritans. Jesus said, I've got to go to Samaria. He shows up at the well there, sits down, and he knew. He knew who was going to be there that day at that time. You don't go there at 6 a.m. at at noon, at the sixth hour, which is noon. You don't show up that time. People don't show up that time. It's not normally a time you come to bring water. You get it in the morning, you get it in the evening. You don't do it in the mid part of the day, the hottest part of the day. That's not the time you do it. However, there was one particular person that came that time. Because the Bible says at that time there was a woman that came to the well. First of all, this well wasn't by accident why Jesus was there. You know, Jesus never does anything by accident. We're not rolling the proverbial dice today hoping that we hit our number. We're not putting our spiritual uh, ball on the roulette wheel, spinning it, hoping our number comes up today because God doesn't do anything by accident. Everything that God does has a purpose to it. The reason you're here today, you may think you're here today because you were invited. However, can I tell you today that you weren't here today because you were invited because the Bible says that you're here today because God has created a divine appointment for you today. You say, I, would, I, don't, I don't believe that, preacher. I'm just here because I'm here with so-and-so. I'm here with this, so they brought me. No, no, that's how we think about it as humans. But God never does anything by happenstance. God knew looking out into the future this day would come and you would be sitting here. And God orchestrated all of this today because He knew you were here today and He knew you had a need. And today, He said, I must Go to Crofton Middle School. You say, that's kind of silly, preacher. No, 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 no. You don't understand. God knew when before you even left your house today that you had needs in this place today. And he came and met you at your well. And that lady comes and 
and the significance of that well is this. Jacob had come, and I don't want to go on all the story. It's not point today. It's, it, it gets a little sidetracked. Jacob basically built that well, dug that well up when Jacob came back. The Bible doesn't tell us really anything about the well. We have to go back and dig it up in history. But we find something unique about this well in history. They dug it 150 feet down but never found a source of water. They dug 150 feet into the limestone but never found water. As the rains began to fall on the mountains and began to collect and seep into the ground, the well would fill up, but it was not coming from a natural source. The well was dependent upon the rain falling around it to be a source. The well didn't have a source. The well didn't have its own source. It had to rely on everything around it being just right. So oftentimes in the summertime, the well ran dry because it didn't have its own source. It was dependent upon everything around it, feeding it today. And some of you have come in today and you're existent in depending on everybody around you feeding into your well because you have not found the true source for your own well. And so because of that today, there are times where you run dry because you have an emptiness, you have a cavity, you have a way to hold something, but you don't have a source that keeps you fed all the time. You have to depend upon the rain falling around you to feed your well. So because of that, the water there, because it was groundwater, it was not fresh water fed from a spring. They didn't hit the water table. Because of that, it wasn't very good water. In fact, it was about a half mile out of town. And mostly the water there was used for feeding of the animals, the cattle, the livestock, because it wasn't very good water. The real good well was more likely in the city. You wouldn't want to walk a half mile every day out to the well. You'd want something more convenient. So the good well was more than likely near the city. This was not a good well, but because of her condition and where she was in her life, she had to go a half mile every day out to a well where the water wasn't so good, and she had to dip her bucket down in there, and more than likely, she had to go back home and boil that water in order to make it palatable to drink without getting disease. I'll never forget, it sticks out to me so much, it, 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 just, it just hit me in my chest. Years ago, I had the opportunity to preach in Pakistan, and uh, they took us out to this village, and after we were done speaking that day, I was standing there waiting for the, my ride to, to come, um, and um, we were standing there, and all of a sudden, there was a line that began to, 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 uh, to, to uh, form in front of me, and I wasn't really sure what was going on, and then I started looking around and realized what was happening, because everybody that was standing in line had water bottles. And so what they did was after service, they went to their, back to their homes and they brought these water bottles back from their home. And I began to look at these water bottles and they were just, there's no way in this world I, could, I would ever drink that water. It was murky. But that was their only source of water. And so because of that, they were bringing it to me to pray for, to bless. And so I stood there for, oh, I don't know, probably 20, 30 minutes praying for water bottles. And so when I think of this story, that's what I think about. I think about this this well that didn't have really good water. And then on top of that, not only is that a, a, a life having to do that, but this woman shows up, but Jesus says this, give me to drink. Why is that significant? Everybody knew what that well was. Everybody knew that well and what it had in it. But you know what? Jesus was willing to go where she was. Because she could not get to him, he came to her. And when you can't get to God, let me tell you something today, friend. God will come looking for you.
You may not recognize it right away. You may not know who it is right away. Because we find with her that day, she did not recognize who was sitting at that well. But let me tell you something, folks. God will come finding you. Because the Bible says He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. God does not sit on His royal throne with his, with his arms folded, his legs crossed as some king high and mighty and waits for us to humble ourselves and, and walk into the throne room and bow before him and his greatness. No, no, no. The Bible says he loved us enough that he humbled himself and became a man so that he could dwell with us and he could find where you were living. Meaning he could get down where your hurts and your pains and your difficulties were. He got down right in that same well knowing what she was doing there, knowing the fact she had to deal with that water. He said, I'll drink with you. I'll be there with you. Why was she, why was this woman in particular, why was she leaving town, going a half mile out of the way to drink this nasty water? Why would she go in town? Well, we know why. A little later in the story, it tells us why. She had had five husbands. Five husbands. Now we look at that, we kind of think in our modern world, five husbands, man, she has, ooh, that's a messed up lady. Five husbands. Come on, you hear somebody that's been married five times, what is the first thing you think? What's wrong with you? Seriously. But we think five husbands, man, she must have just, I mean, she was just, she, you know, Elizabeth Taylor, she just had one, cast it off, get another one. But it wasn't the case because in Jesus' time, a woman could not divorce a man, only a man could divorce a woman. And so in order for her to be divorced five times, she had to be rejected by a man five times. This was a woman who had been rejected time and time again. And after the fifth time, you know, come on, you know how it is. All of a sudden, people start to wonder, what's wrong with her? What's wrong with her? Why do these men keep, keep casting? Man, she's got to be messed up. So here's this woman who is living with shame and rejection and hurt and not understanding and life has been cruel to her and life has abused her and life has chewed her up and spit her out and she comes every day a half mile out of her way carrying her water pot to drink dirty water that she's got to go back to her house and boil just so she can drink. You know what? Go look at Scripture. Jesus didn't go to the universities he didn't go to the finest churches to find people. Jesus went to find those who needed the most help. Why? Because you know what? The greatest diamonds are made from the greatest amounts of pressure. Some of you in today that have so much pressure in life because you've got fear and difficulty and sickness and, and family problems and all this, you think, man, I got all this stuff, but you don't realize what's creating that inside of you with all that stuff in your life pushing when God finally comes in your life and He begins to pull away the dirt and gets the mud and He reaches down in your life and He washes you. When you finally come out of that, you realize all of that created something in me that could not be created without it. And so this woman shows up at the well that day and you know what? The first thing that comes out of her mouth as she begins to talk to Jesus, you could tell she was used to rejection. She could tell her attitude because she looked at Jesus. She, he said, give me to drink. He looked at you. Are you asking me to? You don't. You guys don't ask. Nobody asked me. First of all, Jesus was a Jew. Secondly, he was a man. 
Is this a trick? You know, are you asking me, are you going to humiliate me like everybody else did? Do, do, are you going to do this to me again? Is this what it's going to be? You sort of, you know what? Stuff happens to us so much, that's, that's what we begin to expect. You know, faith works, works both ways, right? Faith is not just in the positive, oh, God's going to do it. Faith begins to work the other way, too, when you're just expecting bad things to happen to you all the time because that's what's always happened. And she had faith that day at first, but her faith was not that, oh, maybe you can do something for me. Her faith was, go ahead, let's get it over with. Whatever you're going to do, do it. Go ahead and reject me. Cast me aside. He said, give me to drink. She says to him, what are you asking me to give drink for? You know that Jews and Samaritans don't mix. Further goes on to this. Jesus answered and said unto her, if you knew, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would be asking me not me asking you. If you knew today, my friend, who's in this room today, if you only knew the power that's in this room today, if you only knew the God that's... I'm not talking about some kind of fictitious idea of who God is, some far-off creator that's so far out there that you cannot touch. But if you understood today that in this room is a Savior who loves you and cares for you and desires to help you, if you knew that today... You would not have to wait for me to tell you, but you would be saying, I'm ready because I know my answer is in this place today. He said to that woman, if you knew, if you knew, if you knew the gift and was in there and give me to drink, the woman said unto him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep from whence thou hast that living water. We're okay. It's not coming from here. You know good and well, sir. You dip in this water. It's not living water. This water will kill you. What's the source of your living water? She said, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank thereof and his children and his cattle? Jesus Andrew said, whoever drinketh from this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinketh of the water that I shall give shall never thirst. But the water I give him shall be in him a well of water springing up and the everlasting life. Then watch this. The woman said, sir, give me this water. Give me this. She acknowledged this today. She acknowledged, wait a minute, he really does care about me. And I'm willing, even though I've been rejected five times. I'm willing to give you a chance. Would you please give me an opportunity today, sir, to have a taste of this water? The woman answered said, give me this water. And Jesus said, Here, here's, here's the catch. Ready? Next verse. Watch this. Oh, isn't this the way God works? She said, give me this water. Right at the climax, you think, oh, here it goes. And Jesus turns to her and says, go call your husband. And come hither. And she goes, I knew it. I can just see it in her mind that day. I, I knew it. I knew it was too good to be true. I knew it was too good to be true. There's no way it's that. It could be true. And now he's going to know. He's going to know. He's going to know. 
Here it is again. Another man that's going to expose me and is going to, and you're going to peel apart my hurt and he's going to humiliate me. And he asks, where's your husband? And she goes, oh my goodness. Jesus, she answers says, I don't have a husband. Jesus, this is where things get real good. She, Jesus said, you're right. Wait a minute, who are you? You don't know me. He said, you're right. Thou hast said, well, I have no husband. Go to the next verse, verse 18. For thou hast had five. Boy, she's sweating now. Oh, man, who is this guy? What private agency do you work for? And who sent you? Which one of my former husbands sent you here to humiliate me? You've had five husbands. And the dude you're living with now, he's not even your husband. Now we look at that and say, well, my God, she's living with somebody. How bad of a person? You know what I think? She was tired of being rejected. And she's like, I'm going to have this relationship on my own terms. Because you know what? When we get so used to hurt, what do we start to do? We start trying to control everything around us because we figure if we can control it, we can keep the pain from coming away. And she says, ah, you know what? You live with five? The guy you're living with now, not even husband. We go, oh, my goodness. She's, that's just, ooh, how dare she do that? No, 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 no. My opinion, if you look at the scripture in the context of that, the reason why she hadn't married that dude, she's like, you know, one, two, three strikes, you're out. Four or five, you're in trouble. Number six, ain't happening again. I want to have things on my terms. On my terms. A woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Is that not the just, duh? <laughs> really? Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Next verse. And then this is what happens. Here's where we get to the context of something very interesting. We kind of look at this woman as sort of a, you know, she got, she's got five husbands, she's living with this guy, she's not really... But then she asked this question that shows that she actually had some stuff in here, some good stuff working. Because she says to him, i got to ask you a question. And her question was, our fathers worship in the mountain and say that Jerusalem is the place where to worship, where we ought to worship. Next verse. Jesus said to her, she asked a real legitimate question. She was, she was at this point where she was showing she had not only faith to trust Jesus, but she had hunger to know something. And she asked him, they say go worship in Jerusalem, but our fathers say for us to worship here. What are we supposed to do? And Jesus said unto her, woman, believe thou the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Verse 22. You worship, you know not what. You know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Next verse. But the hour cometh and is now when the true worshipers, everybody say true, true worshipers. We sang it today. Let the worshipers arise. Let the true worshipers shall worship. Not might worship, not maybe worship, but true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And we look at spirit and we look at truth and we think that means God's spirit, Holy Ghost and truth, the word of God. That's not what it means because that's a little s, not a big s. Little s is me, big s is God. 
What is that? Little or big? Not a trick question. Little. So what does that mean? That's my spirit. And you know what Proverbs says? It says the spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord. Do you know what that is? That's a conscience. So you know what Jesus said to her? There's coming a day when in order to truly worship me, you've got to worship me with a clear conscience and with truth. You've got to worship me. To get into worship with me, you've got to come to me and first be honest with yourself. Oh, Jesus. It's been good from now. We're about to hit the brakes. In order to truly be a worshiper, you cannot be a worshiper unless you're first willing to be honest with yourself. Truth, that's him. Spirit, that's my part. He said, you've got to get to the point where you've got to be honest about yourself. You've got to be honest about your life. You've got to be honest about the conditions. You've got to be honest about your faults and your failures. You don't have to blab it to the world. You don't have to get up here behind the pulpit and say, everybody today, guess what? I've sinned and done all this. That's between you and God. But God cannot work past your ability to be honest with yourself and say, today, God, I've got things in my life that I know don't need to be there and I need to give it to you. Why is that important, preacher? Because in order to do that, you do that. And guess what? You can step into worship. What is worship? Worship is when you minister to him and he ministers to you. And he said, there's coming a day when in order to do that, you've got to worship in spirit and in truth. Meaning you've got to be honest with yourself. And there's some of you in a day, I can't, I, I'm not trying to be mean or harsh, but there's some of you today, the reason why you can't get past where you are because you can't be willing to be honest with yourself. And you know why God can't work in your life? It's because you're not willing to be honest first. The next chapter, and we, I, I preached about it a couple weeks ago, and, and I'll just give you the two-minute two recap. The next chapter is where we find the lame man laying by the pool where the water was troubled. He'd get in the water and would be healed. And, and Jesus walked up to him, and the first words out of Jesus' mouth were, do you want to be healed? The guy is laying there sick, but Jesus didn't ask, hey, I'd like to heal you today. He asked the man, first and foremost, do you want to be healed? Why did Jesus ask that? Because the pool that the man was nearby, when the water was troubled, the first person in the water would be healed. But you know what the man said? He said, sir, I would be healed. But you know, there's nobody here that can help me in the water. And by the time I get there, somebody else jumps in before me. That seems like a really good, noble answer. I'm trying, God. You know I'm trying. I'm trying to get my life where it needs to be. But you know, God, if I could just do this and someone could do that and I could find this and I could find that, I'd get it all straight. And what did Jesus did? He didn't see all that. He stepped straight to the point and said, okay, do you really want to be healed? Why? Because I said it a couple weeks ago. I'll say it again. If this is the pool and I'm sick... I'm not camping out back there. You heard this a couple weeks ago, but some of you weren't here. You know when I'm sitting? Right here on the edge. With my feet right above the water. And the moment I see that water ripple, I'm dumping, I'm jumping in, I'm going. But you know what? He had gotten back there. Why? Because the Bible describes there was porches, there was shade. He didn't want to be out here in the sun. It was too much work. It was too much exposure. 
He didn't want to be where the true working of God was. He wanted to be somewhere where he could be comfortable, but yet still have God work. In order for God to work, sometimes you've got to get uncomfortable. We, we said it today. Sister Wright said it today in worship. Sometimes you've got to close your eyes. You say, well, I don't like to do that in, in, in spaces. I don't know what someone's going to do. Are they going to jump out in front of me and start making faces? No. I'm uncomfortable doing that. Well, you know what? Sometimes you've got to get uncomfortable for God to work. Why, preacher? Because if staying where you are works, it would have already worked. And Jesus challenged that young man and said, okay, you want to be healed? Do you really want to be healed? Oh, yeah, I'd be healed, God, but, you know, I'm trying so hard. I mean, it was so hard for me just to get here this morning. Not good enough? He said, you really want to be healed? And then Jesus turned and said, okay, get up. <laughs> that was the great prayer of Jesus. Get up. We find the same thing here. He's telling this lady, okay, lady, you've come far, but I'm going to take you one more step. If you really want this living water, here's how you got to do it. You got to be honest with yourself. You've got to be honest with yourself to recognize I've got a need and you've got the answer. You said to me, give me to drink. But let me take you a little step farther. You've got to be honest with yourself to find the truth. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When is he come? He will tell us all things. Then verse 26, watch what Jesus says. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Here's what's interesting about that verse. Give me a minute here because this is too fun. King James Version, that's a little KJV right down here. It's not for Kevin James Burnell, whatever the last What? It's King James Version, in case you're wondering what that is. In the King James Version, if you've got it in your Bible, it doesn't show that on the screen, but in the Bible, if you look at the King James Version, sometimes you'll find words that are italicized. That doesn't mean they're special. That means those italicized words were not actually in the original language, but they were added there for the translators to help us read them. Guess what's in italicis in that sentence? He. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am. Why is that important? Because he told her something there that is as powerful as it gets. He told her something in the Greek, it's ego I me. Ego is I am is I me. He turned to her, he did not say he was the Messiah. He turned and said, he that speaks to you is the I am. <laughs> oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. He said, he that speaks to you, you're looking for a Messiah. You're looking for somebody that will come in here and bail you out of your trouble. But the guy that's sitting in front of you is not the Messiah. But the one that sits in front of you today is the I am. Who is the I am? God spoke to Moses at the burning bush and he said, Moses said, who should I say is going to send me? And God said to him, tell them the I am will send you. Oh, Holy Ghost. Why is that important? 
Why is God the I am? Why is God the I am? The I am is YHVH in, in the Hebrew. YHVH. YHVH is all consonants. It's unpronounceable. Why is that important? Because God is not defined by the limits of what we can come up with. The I am is simply that. He's the I am. He's anything you need him to be, whatever you need him to be, whenever you need him to be. He's undefinable. He's, he's not, you can't quantify it. You cannot describe that. You cannot put a label on it. You cannot say this. You cannot say that. Because if you said he was a Messiah, then you label who he was and you can find him to that. But he looked at that lady and said, Lady, what you don't understand is I'm not definable by a title, but I'm standing here today and I am the I am. I am. The one that stands here today is not the Messiah. The one that stands here today in this place today is not some other God. It's not some other church. We're not more, we're not more special than anybody else because we're here today. But the one that's in this place today is the I am the same one that said let there be light the same one that stepped out of heaven and died on the cross that same God is here today the same the same one that was at the well that day that was pulled up that 1500 foot cliff he was pulled by love he was pulled by compassion he's been pulled in this place today by love and compassion for you it's the same God same one he's the I am meaning he's not the I was or the I will be. He's the I am. He meaning he's the ever existent one. He never stops being. He was there before it started. He'll be there after it ended. He doesn't have a start point. He doesn't have to st- an end point. He simply is the I am. And watch what happens. Oh, I love this next part. She, he gives that revelation to her. And watch what happens. And upon this came the disciples. Jesus was brilliant. Because when they showed up there, he knew Peter and John. And Peter, we know, had some serious issues. And this was in the beginning of Peter and Jesus' ministry together. This was, I mean, come on, he was still cutting people's ear off three years later. So imagine how he was in the beginning. He was probably worse than that. So Jesus figured, I'll never be able to talk to this lady with you knuckleheads around. Go to McDonald's and get some cheeseburgers. I'm hungry. I climbed a 1,500-foot cliff. Go get some food. They're off getting food. And Jesus said, ha-ha, thank, thankfully now I can talk to this lady about you knuckleheads interrupting it. Why does God sometimes isolate us from our friends? Why does God make us feel alone sometimes? So that he becomes the only voice we hear. Sometimes loneliness is the greatest gift you can get. If you're here today and you feel alone, that's not a curse. If you're here today in this room and you feel alone, you feel like there's no one there, don't look at that as a curse. That's the greatest blessing. Because in that feeling of aloneness, God is as close as it can get. If I've got friends and people and all this stuff hanging out, man, I got all that chatter in my ear. But when I'm alone, it's just Him. Sent the disciples away, and they marveled that He talked to the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou? Why talkest with her? Verse 28. This is the part I'm trying to get to right here. Watch what happens. You're seeing it. I'm seeing it together. We're going to look at it together so you know I'm not making it up. 
the woman then left her water pot and went into the city. Why did John give us that little nugget? Why didn't John say, we showed back up, she left, and went to the city. Great things happened. But yet he chose to put in there, she left her water pot. Why? Because what did that water pot represent to that lady? It was everything. It represented her shame. It represented her hurt. It was her identity because that was the water pot she carried a half mile out of the city to a dirty well to bring a water back to boil it. That water pot was the same water that carried all that junk and contaminated in. That was the same water pot that everyone knew when they saw that water pot. We know who that belongs to. You could see that water pot sitting outside. You wouldn't even have to ask who's that belong to. You know that belongs to that lady. She got like, what, five husbands. She's now working on number six. We already know. But when you have an encounter with the I am, when you truly have an encounter, I'm not talking about coming to a church. Come on, folks, we, people come to church all the time and don't really have an encounter with God. Coming to church and showing up does not make you have an encounter with God. That's great, you come, but that doesn't equate to having an encounter with God. Showing up simply saying, I'm here, does not equate. But when you truly have an encounter with God, something begins to happen in you to the point where you don't look at yourself the same way. You don't feel about yourself the same way. God begins to do stuff in you. Because in that brief moment, I mean, come on, that's a, what, a 10, 15 minute conversation at the most. In that short period of time, she was so impacted that she left her identity at the feet of Jesus. She left all that stuff at the feet of Jesus and walked away. And guess what she did? This was amazing. She goes into the city. Go to the next verse so they know I'm not making it up. And she says this, come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? Notice what she did. She did not leave going, hey, guess what? I, I had five husbands, but I found a man that says it's okay. She didn't talk about that. She talked about her experience with Jesus. She didn't celebrate what she got away with. She was talking about the fact she had had an encounter with the I am. Something so impactful she left that water pot. I don't know, it doesn't say. But if I'd, if I'd have written the rest of the story somewhere, John left it out. The next day, she was down at Walmart. She's picking out a brand new water pot. Because that thing was a symbol of what she had lived with. The shame that she had carried. And where did she leave it? She left it at the feet of Jesus. At the well that had no source. And she found the I am who gave her a well that had a source that never died. When you have your own identity and you see yourself only by yourself, you depend upon a well. I said it in the beginning, I'll say it again. You depend upon a well that has no true source that relies on everything around you. So when the rains are falling, oh, man, you got water. Woo, got water. But you let the dryness come in life. 
All of a sudden, there's no water. There's nothing to sustain. History tells us every summer, every summer, every summer, every summer that well ran dry. Why? Because it had no source. And Jesus sat on that well and said, listen, I'm telling you about something that's everlasting, always there. Golly, some of you, if you could see yourself today, and I'd say, Brother Wright, what do you see? I'll tell you what I see today. You are a yo-yo. You're just something attached to the string of everybody around you. And when, you, when they want you up, whoop! But when they go down, whoop! And so what happens is like this lady. When you have no source in your life, I'm almost done. But when you have no source in your life, what do you have to do? you got to start controlling everything. That's what she did. That's what she did. She started controlling her relationships because that was the source of her pain. All of a sudden, this is what began to happen. But Jesus said, listen, if you would just understand that I am the I am. If you would understand, you think I'm the Messiah, but I'm really beyond that. I'm the I am. And there's a source of life that I'm offering you that if you would take a hold of this source of life, it would change you. And in that brief encounter with Jesus, she was willing to let go of that water pot, leave it at Jesus' feet, and walk away forever changed I said to my wife yesterday I mentioned to her last night sitting there studying looking at my notes going over this story again letting the Lord speak to me I told her last night about 11 o'clock at night right Kate about 11 o'clock I told her I said I feel such a burden of heaviness on me not a heaviness of depression I'm not depressed don't come up to me afterwards and ask to pray for me. I wasn't depressed. I feel such a weight of compassion of Jesus Christ on me today. Not that I'm saying that to get you to look at me and reflect on me like I'm somebody special. I'm just trying to say I'm just a vessel. And last night I began to feel the weight of the burden of God upon my shoulders because I didn't know. I honestly before God did not know who was going to be here today. I don't, in case you're new here, I don't call the members and say, who's coming with you? It's God. But obviously today, just like at that well, God made a divine appointment for this place today. And before you even got up this morning and began to brush your teeth, comb your hair, put your clothes on, before you even got out of your bed, He knew today you would be here today. And guess what? Just like he did that lady, he knows everything about you. He knows your hurts. He knows your pains. He knows your past. He knows your difficulties. He knows where you are now. He doesn't know that to humiliate you. He knows that because he cares. And he would be willing to go out of his way. A 1,500 foot cliff he climbed in order to get to that well. Why? Because he knew at that time. I imagine along the way, Peter and John said, Jesus, slow down. We got to slow down. I'm tired, man. We just climbed. He said, no, no, no. No, no, no. I've got to get there at six hour. We've got 30 minutes left, boys. You've got to huff it. If you can't get there, go get into town and get some food because I've got an appointment I cannot miss. 
God, it's in this place today. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I feel such a love in this place today. God is not here to embarrass anyone. God's not here to humiliate anyone. But there's a source of life in this place today. And you can leave here today with your well that runs dry. And you know the problem is it often runs dry the moment we need it. When do you need water the most? In the summertime. My God. In the hottest time, that's when you need the water the most. It's hot outside. You're thirsty. You need water. And that's when the well would run dry. Have you noticed in your life? Come on, let's be honest for a second. When you need something the most, that's when you look in your well and it's like, oh my God, it's dry. What am I going to do? But he said, listen, I've got a well. It doesn't matter if it's winter. It doesn't matter if it's spring. It doesn't matter if it's summer. It doesn't matter if it's fall. i got a well that's never going to go dry. I've got a well that you don't need, a bucket, you don't need that. You know what? She left that water pot there that day because she didn't need a water pot for the well Jesus was giving her. She just needed some honesty with herself. To be honest with herself, she said, I want to drink of that water today. I want to drink that water today. When When she acknowledged her need, That's when he revealed who he was. Not that God hides himself, but when you step out and you say, God, I need you, God then reveals to you who he truly is. He reveals that to you. You say, why don't we go ahead and reveal it to me now? Because the Bible says, without faith is it impossible to believe. Because faith is the foundation. Must believe he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek. Faith causes me to seek. And the reward for my seeking is that he reveals who he is. He could have easily told her that day, you're right, lady, I'm the Messiah. I've come to save that which was lost, but he looked at her that day and he said, I that speaketh am. You sit here today, just like that fellow in the very next chapter of John, you can sit here today and say, well, you know what, preach, I'm trying. I really am trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. But, you know, if this would happen and if this could take place and, and you, if this would do this and that would do that and this person would go there and that person would apologize and this person would stop treating me like that, if all that would line up, then I know. And Jesus is here today asking you, do you really want help? Do you really want something in your life different than what you came in here for? I can lay it all out there can speak it all to you. I can put it all out there. But ultimately, then it comes down to you. And like that lady that day, you got to see, okay, I realize today that he loves me. I realize today he's not going to embarrass me. This is a safe place to leave your past. If someone's here today that's going to judge you, you tell me who it is because me and them are going to have a long talk. Because this is a safe place. Because you know what? Everybody in here today has had to leave something. And the people that say they don't, get away from them because a bolt of lightning is about to strike because they're lying. Can I tell you today that Jesus is sitting at the well 
of your life. And he's asked you today, do you want to have a source in your life? And you know what's sad? He had asked that lady, if you knew. Oh, God, today, I'm trying to quit. I really am. I'm trying to quit. I'm not trying to just belabor the point and repeat myself. But, oh, today, my friend, if you only knew who was in this place, oh, God. If you only knew who was here today, if you only knew the love. Oh, I can feel the love of Jesus in this place. Oh, God. There's such a love in this place. Would you just do something with me for a moment, just you and me? Just pretend the room's empty, it's just you and me. Would you close your eyes again? And let you just begin to say to the Lord and be honest with yourself and say it. You don't have to say these exact words, but could you tell him today, God, I need you. He knows what you're going through, so you might as well not stop pretending. He already knows you got five husbands, and the one you're living with not even your husband. So why even hide from it? He said, you did good. You told me the truth. Because you told me the truth, I can help you. If you're not willing to be honest with God, and he already knows the answer, how in the world are you ever going to get help from anybody else? Can you be honest with God for a moment and honest with yourself in this moment of privacy with your eyes closed and everyone around you with their eyes closed, no one's looking around being nosy, it's you and God. Can you be honest with Him for a moment in this time and say to Him, God, I acknowledge in this place I need you, I need you, I need you. I'm not talking just to our guests today, folks. I'm talking about some of you that come here every week, but you've traded that well of living water for a Jacob's well. You've traded that source, and now you're trying to depend on everything around you for that source. Is there anybody here today that you want to leave that water pot at his feet? How do I do that, preacher? i got to be honest with you. The first thing it starts is you got to be honest with yourself. To be a true worshiper, to be a true fellowshipper with Jesus, you got to worship him in spirit and truth, meaning you got to be honest with yourself so that then he can be honest with you. But the I am is in this place today. Oh, I feel such a love in this place. I don't know... Oh, I don't know all the faces in here today. There's a lot of visitors here today, a lot of new people I don't know. And that's a good thing because I don't know you, you don't know me. So if God's talking to you, it's not because I know you, it's because God loves you enough He's talking to you today. He's trying to reach down in your life because He wants to help you. He wants to give you something today that you can take with you from this place that will forever change you. But you got to be willing to go to the well today. you got to be willing to take your water pot to the well and be willing to take the chance of those in town wondering, why is she out there talking to a man? Have you seen that lady out there? She's talking to another guy. Is she going for number seven? You've got to be willing to take the idea that God's going to put you in an uncomfortable place, but He's not doing that to expose you. He's doing that because that's His way of getting to the source to help you in this place today. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I'm going to ask you to do something to me today. Do do something with me today, if you're willing. For the honest people, and I'm not saying if you're going to do it, you're dishonest. That's not what I'm meaning. But to do this next step, you're going to have to be really honest with you, and you're going to have to be hungry and desperate enough that you're willing to let God do whatever He wants to do. But I'm going to ask you: There's a source in this place today. 
And God will never force himself on you. He'll never do it. Never, never, never do it. God's a gentleman. He's kind. He's sweet. He's loving. He's not forceful. He doesn't come beat your door down. But God simply waits for you to make that first step. And when you make that first step, God says, now, because you've been honest with yourself, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm wondering if you could maybe grab somebody by the hand and bring it, let's come down to this morning to a well. There's a well in this place. You don't have to come alone. This is not like the woman where she comes by herself. No, 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 no. This is a place where you can come with somebody. Once you reach over next to somebody sitting by you and say, look, let's go with us. Go with me to the well today. Come on. Is there anybody here today that you're willing to be honest with yourself and you're willing to come down and find Jesus here and just see what's available to you today? Come on, my friend. Come on, my friend. Respond to the Holy Ghost that's in this place. There's a love in this place today. Don't come by yourself. Come with somebody. Bring somebody with you. But I'm telling you today, the I Am is in this place today. The I Am is here today. The I Am is here today. Oh, God, help us today. Help us today. Help us today. In the name of Jesus, there's healing in this place today. There's wholeness in this place today. There's a source of life in this place today. The I Am is in this place today. You've got a divine appointment. God's here. Don't miss it today. Don't miss that appointment today. Don't miss out on that appointment today, my friend. Don't miss out on it today. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Be honest with him. Come on. Why don't you open up and talk to him for a moment. Say, God, I need you. I want to, I want to drink from that water. I want to drink from that water today. I want that source in me today. Oh, in Jesus' name. 